time for us to begin, if you'll uh, find a seat. We'll do so. Good morning. We are uh, very happy to have uh, everyone here uh, with us this morning, especially our visitors. If you are visiting with us, we're very, very pleased that you are visiting with us and yeah, would ask that if you would please fill out a visitor's card that is in the uh, back of the pew in front of you and hand it to uh, one of the members around you and they will get it to uh, wherever it needs to go. We appreciate your uh, being with us here this morning. Um, just want to mention uh, Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In this life, there are priorities that we have. And um, we are told in, uh, in our education courses and in organizations that we should have goals and objectives and strategies for achieving them. And uh, in class this morning, Christy said something about, you know, getting, getting her priorities straight and making sure to take care of the things that are most important in this life before we tend to those things that are less important in this life. Our goal here on this earth should be to get to heaven as a group to help all of us get to heaven. Um, when we come together, our goal is to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the outcome of that should be that we glorify him and that we personally are edified and strengthened so that we can better serve him than maybe we have uh, in the past. So as we enter into our worship this morning, uh, we pray that all of us will do what we can to divorce ourselves from things that are going on in this life around us and just focus on God, focus on worshiping him. This morning, Chris will uh, deliver the message as usual. John Kelly will be leading the songs. Um, reading and prayer will be uh, delivered by Mike Williams and the Lord's Table will be handled by Cy Wilson. Andy Pittman will close with prayer at the end. Before we enter our worship, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We're in awe of the love that you have for us, that you have demonstrated throughout history and what we read in, in your word about how you care for your creation and for us as individuals and for our souls so that one day we might spend eternity with you in heaven. We pray, Father, that as we enter our worship this morning that we will do everything we can to obtain the most from it, that we will enthusiastically enter into the singing of the songs and focus on those words and mean those words as they come from our mouths. We pray, Father, that as we gather around your table in a few moments that we will focus entirely on your son and his sacrifice and his love like yours for the sacrifice that he made for us and on our behalf, taking on our sins so that we would not have to bear the eternal punishment if we would only obey and follow your word. We pray, Father, that you be with us now as we enter into this worship. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First hymn this morning, number 52, Blessed Be the Name. <clears throat> you would let's all please stand. <clears throat> Blessed be the name. 
Him this morning, number 676, There's Within My Heart. 676. <clears throat> After this hand, Brother Mike Williams will have our scripture reading and prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me, first There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers, wake and go. Thank you. 
scripture reading that Chris has selected this morning is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by a scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we approach you this morning, Lord, thanking you so much for the opportunity to be here to worship you, Father. We thank you for who you are, Lord, being able to, to worship you and um, knowing that you are a God full of love and mercy and grace, and you revealed that grace th to us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for him, for his life, for his sacrifice, the relationship that we now are able to have with you because of that sacrifice, the hope that we have eternal life with you, Father. We thank you for that, and thank you for Jesus, and Father, we thank you for the body of believers here. Thank you that we're able to be here today, that you've given us the abilities, the health. And Father, we just um, pray at this time for those of our number that are struggling with various issues, various health issues, and um, pray that you'd be with each one of them. Pray for Joe and Sandy's granddaughter, Merritt, at this time, her recent diagnosis. Pray that you will be with her, be with Jeff and the family, and be with the doctors, that they can come up with the best treatment plan for her, and be with those that have been battling various illnesses for a while, cancers, and those that have been mentioned in our bulletin, as well as in classes. Pray for each one of them. Be with our shut-ins, Father, those that would love to be here this morning but are unable to because of health issues, and just pray that they are strengthened and comforted, Father. Father, just pray uh, that you be with us as we continue in our worship this morning, that everything that we say and do is, is pleasing to you, Father, that we keep our mind focused upon you, upon all that we have through, through your son, Jesus, and pray that, um, that we never forget that, that we don't become distracted with the things of this world to, to lose sight of that, and we thank you for your word and the message that we hear from it this morning that guides us, that, that gives us the roadmap to help us through this life and the journey that we're on, Father. Again, we just thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Forgive us when we do fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 384, Lead Me to Calvary, 384. Sing the first, second, and the last verse.
we've come to the point in our service where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalfs. A lot of times when I'm trying to prepare my thoughts for what to say up here, I think of experiences. Last, a little over a week ago, I was doing something that many of us always do around the house. I was doing some weed eating. And as I was doing it, I, you can judge me for this later, but I was wearing shorts and tennis shoes. Uh, and as, as I was weed eating, I unknowingly stepped into a nest of yellow jackets. And I didn't realize what was going on until it was too late. Um, the best we can tell, because the swelling was pretty bad for several days, I was stung between 15 and 20 times. And I, if you saw me last Sunday, I did something I don't ever do. I wore jeans and tennis shoes because it was around my ankle when I couldn't stand these clothes. And I was thinking about that. And amazingly to me, it was about three days later, and then I couldn't feel it anymore. And I was thinking about three days later. I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where, O death, is your sting? The more I thought about this, the more I thought of Christ and what he did. Christ had a few stings. First, one of the men he was closest to betrayed him. Then another one of those same men denied him. He was mocked. He was put on trial. A criminal was let go instead of him. He was beaten. He was robed as a mockery. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was paraded through the street carrying his own cross. He was hung to a cross. He was nailed to the cross. He was given vinegar to drink. People hurled insults at him. And finally... He died. He was stung a few times. But three days later, where, oh death, is that sting? Three days later, he rose again, victorious over that sting. In Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead 
verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. O death, where is thy sting? Our Lord and Savior suffered what he did. He took our sins, as Colossians just, as I just read, nailed them to the cross, and he was victorious over them. And three days later, he rose again, canceling all of that. And I always think, I, I don't know if in our worldly minds, I, I think of, it would be great if there was like an instant replay that when we got to heaven, we could see the reaction of Satan. Satan giving those stings thinking he had won, and then Jesus rising three days later. Old death, where's your sting? At this time, we remember his sacrifice, his body that he gave up for us that is symbolized by the bread that we're about to partake, the blood that he shed on our behalf, symbolized by the fruit of the vine. At this time, let's ask the blessing on the bread. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you have given and done for us. Lord, we thank you for your son, that he was willing to suffer what he did to take those things and to triumph over them. Lord, we Thank you for the body that he willingly gave up on our behalf. We thank you for the bread that he, he instituted, knowing what he would go through, that we can remember him. We thank you for this bread, and as it symbolizes his body given for us, we pray that we'll take it in a manner that's worthy of you. We can turn our minds to Jesus and to that cross and realize that our sins were nailed with him. Lord, be with us, forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's ask a blessing on the fruit of the vine. Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for the sacrifice of your son. Lord, we thank you for the blood that he shed on our behalf and the washing away of our sins. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this fruit of the vine that represents that blood. Let us take it in a way that is pleasing to you. Let us focus on your son as he bled on that cross for us. Be with us and forgive us. We're in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. We do a, another item, uh, as the men are still on the floor, we, to take up our offering. We've all been blessed beyond measure, and this is a time that we have that we can give back a portion of that. Uh, goes to spreading the word uh, in the area and supporting those missions that we have. Uh, if you would, let's go to prayer and ask blessing on the offering. 
Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come before you thanking you so much for all that you've given us. Lord, we know that we are blessed and that all that we have is from you. Lord, we thank you of all the things you've given us, all the material blessings, our jobs, our means of livelihood, ways to support our family, and to buy the things that we need and even want. Lord, as we now try to give back a portion that you have given us, Lord, let us do so in a way that's pleasing to you, and Lord, that with a cheerful heart, let us continue to give as we can. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this offering that we're about to take up. We pray that you'll be with those that are in charge of using the funds. We pray that good will come from them. Lord, again, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. We pray that you'll continue to be with us and forgive us. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 687, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. <clears throat> sing the first three verses. It's at this time that the two to five-year-olds may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how 
message from him this morning, number 538. Prepare to meet thy God. 538. Brother Chris. Good morning. Be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Acts chapter 17. You get to meet a couple of congregations this morning. Uh, we are following Paul as he goes through his second missionary journey. <clears throat> He has come through the regions, uh, starting off in Antioch of Syria. He's gone north, and then he's gone west. And so he wanted to go, when he got to the coast, he wanted to go up to uh, either Galatia over here, or he wanted to finally go up to Bethany, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow that. And he, he had other plans. And so Paul wanted to go down south to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit didn't allow that either. Uh, in fact, while he's at the uh, coastal city trying to figure out what to do, uh, Paul has a vision, and it's a man of Macedonia, a soldier, pleading with him to come over to Macedonia and to teach them the truth. And so Paul goes over. He meets uh, several women at the, the river there in Philippi, uh, and he founds the congregation uh, that, that we read about in the book of Philippians as well as that in Acts chapter 16. He is... Uh, pushed out of Philippi, um, and he's pushed into Thessalonica. There are a couple of uh, little cities, and you're going to read about them today as we get into Acts chapter 17, uh, that Paul just passes through. We're not told that he does any evangelism there. Uh, I don't know if he did any or not. The, the text is, uh, just doesn't tell us. I tend to believe that maybe he just kind of passed uh, through them. They're about uh, 30 miles apart from each other. And so from Philippi to uh, Thessalonica, where Paul's going to end up uh, this morning, it's about 100 miles. And so he's, he's traveling quite a bit in, in this maybe week-long period, four or five-day period. Uh, he's traveled quite a bit. And he finally makes it to Thessalonica, and he's going to found a congregation there too. And the world is going to be turned upside down. At least their world is going to be turned upside down. Like we talked about last week, it's really... Uh, the way that the world has always been intended to be seen. Uh, whenever the church comes upon a city, that city looks at their lives, those people in that city look at their lives in a certain way. I'm out to get mine. I'm looking out for me. I'm going to prioritize things that are in my best interest. I'm going to live my life in a way that pleases me. But when the church comes into that city, it turns the world upside down. It's counter-cultural. And so as we read through these churches that we're going to meet over the next several weeks, as you prepare for the, 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 the lessons on these Sunday mornings, read through that, that church, the founding of that congregation, and think to yourself, well, what, what is counter-cultural here? What, what is going against the grain of culture uh, as I meet this congregation and as I meet um, the, the city that they're, that they're in. So we're in Acts chapter 17 this morning. So we start off in verse 1. He says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. There's a couple of things there that we need to point out. And if you write in your text, you might want to grab a pen because there's some interesting stuff that's going on right here in this passage. Um, underline they, that, that third word in verse 1, now when they had passed through 
Paul is uh, leaving uh, Luke there in Philippi. For whatever, reason, for whatever reason, Luke decides to stay in Philippi. There is a, uh, a, a, a well-respected um, uh, school of medicine in Philippi. And so it's possible that Luke stayed there to either learn or to teach uh, in that school. And so but for whatever reason, he stays in Philippi. And we're left to assume that he works with the church there. It's possible, likely in my opinion, that Luke is one of the reasons why this church is uh, so vibrant. Um, they will send Paul money to Thessalonica, at least on two occasions. It looks to me like maybe he's only there for about a month. He's kind of forced to leave Thessalonica as he was kind of run out of town in, Thess in, uh, in Philippi as well. But at least two times the Philippians send Paul uh, monetary help during his month there in Thessalonica. So it seems to me like Luke is probably driving the train there. Maybe that's one of the reasons he stayed. Maybe they didn't get enough time. Maybe they weren't uh, as uh, sure of the founding of this congregation uh, as they wanted to be. They needed to maybe to encourage and to teach more this congregation. But for whatever reason, Luke stays in Philippi. And so for the next couple of chapters, uh, we're going to be without Luke. And so as he tells this story, he's going to refer to the mission team in the third person. They did this. They did this. And then in a little while, we'll catch Luke will catch back up with us and it'll be, we did this again. But something you need to be aware of as you read through Acts is, is when Luke is with them and when he's not. And so here in Thessalonica, he's, he's not, although he's telling their story. So they had passed through the, these two cities. Again, they're about 30 miles apart from each other and 30 miles apart from Philippi. So Paul's traveling about 100 miles by the time they get to Thessalonica. He goes there. He's in Thessalonica as opposed to some other city in Macedonia because there's a synagogue of the Jews. In fact, the definite article is there in front of synagogue. It's the synagogue of the Jews. And so this is the synagogue. This is the one in the area. This is a, a large synagogue. Thessalonica exists today. Uh, it's under a different name. Thessalonica is what it's called uh, today. But there's, there's still a population of Jewish people living in this city. And in ancient times, that population was even bigger. And so uh, it's well known that there was a large Jewish population in Thessalonica in Paul's day. And I think he plays off that. I think after he leaves, uh, after he leaves Philippi, he starts thinking, well, where else can I go in Macedonia? Because obviously God wants us here. He wants truth to come into Macedonia. And so where else can I go? Well, the easiest, the low-hanging fruit, the easiest spot to evangelize is to the Jewish people. If you can just get them to see that Jesus really is the Messiah, Everything else is easy. Uh, they, they've got all this history. They've got all this knowledge of Yahweh, how he interacts with people, what he demands. Um, this, this monotheistic um, ideology, this, this worship of one God, they're accustomed to that. They, they like that. And so if you can just get them to see, if you can just get them to accept Jesus as Messiah, everything else is, is fairly easy. You don't have to deal with all the baggage uh, that the Gentiles uh, would bring into the equation with the Jewish people. And so it's his custom to go to the synagogue to teach them. Um, 
they are the low-hanging evangelistic fruit. And so Paul goes to the synagogue. I think that's uh, purposeful. I think he does that uh, intentionally. So verse 2, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. One of the first things we need to point out from, from this text, uh, hopefully we'll get to Thessalonica and Berea today, but um, because the Holy Spirit's going to uh, compare these two churches, or these two cities at least, um, and that's, that's really the point we're trying to drive at today, but there's some interesting things that we need to acknowledge, that we need to focus on as we get there. One of the first things is Christianity is a logic-driven religion. We're not, we're not emotion-based. There is an emotion here, right? Um, once you realize that Christ died to save you from your sins, there ought to be passion, there ought to be joy, there ought to be guilt, there ought to be fire, right? There ought to be emotion there. Um, certainly, we're to worship in spirit and in truth, right? And so there is emotion here, but you come to this realization, you, you, uh, you accept the cost of following Christ, not from an emotion-based, uh, not from an emotional base, but from a logic-driven one. You've you stopped to consider what this is going to cost you because it will cost you, right? <clears throat> so Jesus talks an awful lot about stopping to count the cost of following him. In Luke 9, he's going to say you need to pick up your cross and follow me, right? Dead people pick up crosses. Dead people who are still alive, they're still walking, they're still breathing, but that won't be the case very long after they pick up their cross. And so he's saying... If you're willing to follow me, you need to stop and consider what it's going to cost you because it's going to cost you a lot. Christianity is a logic-driven religion. When we come to Him, when we give our lives to Him through baptism, it's a logical decision. Paul shows that here in Thessalonica. He reasons with the Jews. He's using logic. In fact, he's using uh, their scriptures. Check out verse 3. It's going even farther. He explains and proves, right, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. That's, that's the stumbling block, right? That's the thing that the Jews can't get over. Um, but Paul's using logic. He's, this is not an emotional appeal. This is, this is not theatrics. There's no sleight of hand. You don't get into this, get into life with Jesus and think, somebody pulled the wool over my eyes. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't see what was happening. This is something that you put the thought into, you put the time into, and you consider the cost of following Him. That's one of the things that we need to acknowledge as we go through this text. But the other thing is, is this idea uh, of a suffering Messiah. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about this same idea. And he says it's a stumbling block for the Jews. They really struggle with this idea of, of him not conquering. Of him not physically being a conquering king. They struggle with that idea. And then on top of that, you throw in that he's got to die 
Ooh, that's, that's tough news for the Jewish people. But it shouldn't have been, right? Uh, Mike read for you Isaiah 53 uh, this morning. Isaiah 53 is replete with references to Jesus' suffering. Um, Psalm 22 is exactly the same. In fact, Jesus co-ops Psalm 22 verse 1 when He's on the cross. And I think He does that to show the Jews, to help them. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It should have clicked in all their minds. That's Psalm 22. And so what else does Psalm 22 say? Well, Psalm 22 verse 16 says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And he's going to continue on. But when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from the cross? I don't know that it was because God has forsaken him. But I think it, I, I tend to believe more that it was to get the Jewish people to click over, to think, Of course, Psalm 22, verse 1. And then they should have made this connection. He's claiming to be the Messiah. But David, back in Psalm 22, said, Messiah must suffer. Of course. Of course he's the Messiah. It it all makes sense. And all those, those, those blocks, you ever played Tetris? The blocks should have just... Made sense. They should, have, they should have all fallen into place and everything should have lined up perfectly in the Jewish mindset, but it didn't. They couldn't get over it. Uh, in, in Mark, let me take you to the New Testament. In Mark, he's going to point out three different times, on three different occasions, uh, that he must suffer and die. It starts in Mark 8, verse 31. He keeps coming back to this. This, uh, this idea because he knows that even the disciples don't get it. Um, and so he's going to come to this, this idea at least three times in Mark. First one's in Mark 8, 31. He says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The very next verse is when Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Listen, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but Messiah is not going to suffer. In fact, Messiah is going to be the suffering king. And you remember how Jesus treats Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking in a worldly mindset, Peter. You're not getting it. The pieces haven't fallen into place for you. He's going to say the same thing in Mark 9, 31, and Mark 10, 34, and 35. Um, so Jesus is just is building this idea while he's alive. He's pointing them back to the Old Testament saying, the Messiah was always supposed to suffer. Don't forget Psalm 22. Don't forget Isaiah 53. Don't forget all these other passages that talk about Messiah suffering. God, that's always been God's plan. It's always been his plan for Messiah to suffer, but the Jews stumble across it. And so if you take all that back to Acts chapter 17, Paul is there in Thessalonica convincing them. I'm I'm sure if we could have heard his message on these three Sabbath days, he would have brought in Psalm Psalm 22. He would have brought in Isaiah 53. He would have brought in those passages like that convincing them that this has been God's plan from the very beginning. 
this Christianity is a logic-driven religion from the very beginning. Even, even the Jewish religion was logic-driven, and Paul's using that now to convince them that Jesus really is the Christ and that they need to line up behind him. Verse 4 is interesting, though, because here you get the pivot point. Some believe, a small number of the Jewish people believe. But then he goes on and he tells you how many Greek people believe, how many Gentiles believe. Some Jewish people believe, but a great, a great many, a lot of the Greeks believe. Apparently these are maybe uh, uh, Greek-speaking um, people who have converted to Judaism. But a lot of them, because they don't have all this baggage following them around about the Messiah's suffering, they, they buy into what Paul's saying. They, they believe what he's saying. And so they line up behind Jesus. And verse 5 says, But the Jews were jealous. They'd just been kicked out of Rome. Uh, in fact, Aquila and Priscilla, you're going to meet them in just a little bit, uh, are fleeing from Rome because a Jewish person can't be in Rome anymore. And so Rome is kind of given the, the, the evil eye towards the Jewish people because they're troublemakers. And the Jewish people are saying, we're not troublemakers, it's these Christians who are the troublemakers. They're trying to pass the buck a little bit here. So these Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So uh, in Thessalonica, like there are in most cities uh, in the ancient world, uh, when someone would make a speech, like a political speech or a religious speech, there were people underneath the dais where the speaker was speaking who had been paid by someone, either the speaker or his opponents, to either heckle him or to praise him. And so those are the people that, um, that the Jewish people have gone and they've, they've slipped them some money. They've slipped them a bribe to heckle Paul and, and Silas. Um, uh, and, but basically to, to, to gather this, this mob together. And their idea is to grab Paul and Silas, grab all these, these hecklers, and they're going to take them in front of the city officials, the polytarchs. We talked about them during PBS, um, and so that, that was kind of fun. But uh, So that's, that's the plan. And the plan is that hopefully um, these rabble-rousers, these wicked guys that they've hired from from the, the, the crowd, um, maybe they're going to be able to convince the city officials to either kill Paul and Silas, but at the very least to imprison them, to shame them somehow, to punish them. Um, that doesn't happen because they can't find Paul and Silas. So they're going to uh, take some, um, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, it's not a bribe, but they, they take some money from Jason uh, to, to ensure that um, he, he makes Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica. So that's, that's Thessalonica. Verse 10 uh, records their, their exit and really gets down to what we want to talk about uh, this morning. Verse 10, he says, But the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. You would think they would have learned their lesson, right? 
Um, there wasn't one, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi and things went really well. There was one in Thessalonica and not a lot of Jewish people came to them, but a lot of Greeks did. A lot of ones who didn't have all this baggage, they came. But here again, they're going into the Jewish synagogue because easy uh, evangelism, low-hanging fruit. Now, in verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. How, how often did the Jews in Thessalonica examine the scriptures to see if these things were so? If they did it at all, it was once a week. Because Paul reasons with them every Sabbath for three weeks, right? These guys, apparently he's meeting with them on the daily. And they're, they've got their Old Testaments open and they're thinking, yeah, that is what Psalm 22 says. That, that really is what Isaiah 53 says has Anyone ever told you something that was hard to hear and you just shut your ears? You just completely shut down? I've done that. I went to the doctor a couple of months ago and they told me my cholesterol is high and they subscribed some medicine. You know what I did with the medicine? I left it at Kroger. <laughs> some things are hard to hear, right? When somebody tells us some things that are hard to hear, I'm getting some looks from the nurses. I'll take care of it. It's fine. Um, so... So some things are, are hard to hear, right? When we hear things that we don't like to hear, often we shut our ears, right? That's what the Jews in Thessalonica did. These ones in Berea, more noble. They're more, another word, a way you could translate um, this, this word for noble, it's, they're open-minded. When they heard something that was offensive to them, they didn't shut down. When they heard something that was new to them, they didn't shut down. When they heard something that maybe hurt them a little bit, right? It indicted them a little bit, a lot. It changed everything for them. They listened. But even more importantly than listen, you know what they did? They went back to their Bibles and they made sure that what they were hearing was true, right? This is how we need to be. This is one of the things that we can learn. This is counter-cultural. This is one of the things where the church turns the world upside down, at least writes it. Helps us see it the way that God has always wanted us to see the world. When people in the world hear things that they don't want to hear, you know what they do? They close their ears. They stop listening. When we in the church hear something that we don't want to hear, you know what we do? We go back to the Bible and see if it's true. And if it's true, we change our lives. In Acts 2, Peter meets a whole bunch of people who didn't want to hear something. They didn't want to hear that they had been the ones that killed Jesus. That was offensive to them. And they first knee-jerk reaction was no doubt to close their ears. But some of them, at least 3,000 of them, listened. And they went back to the scriptures. And they searched it out. We can't just close our ears because we hear something that we don't want to hear. We have to go back to scripture. And if we find out that what we have heard that offended us, that hurt us, that indicted us, is true, we change our lives. We sacrifice everything so that we can follow Him to the best of our ability. That's not something the world does. 
That's uncomfortable. That's hard, isn't it? But that's something we do. That's something the church does. In fact, that's the thing that the church majors in. When we find something where our lives are out of sync with who He wants us to be, even if it offends us, even if it indicts us, especially if it offends us, especially if it indicts us, if it's true, we change. Because He doesn't. His promises don't change. His judgment, His wrath, none of that stuff changes. We change so that we can line up behind Him. We need to be noble like these Bereans were noble. They were not like the ones in Thessalonica who shut their ears and just refused to listen. And there was all this pushback, right? Not only did they shut their ears, but the Thessalonian Jews hired other people to come alongside them to push back against God because they heard some things that they didn't like. When you come into Berea and they hear some things that are a bit offensive, that are hard, that will, they know, change their lives, that will flip their lives upside down. In fact, that's, that's what the Thessalonian Jews say. Look back up in verse 6. They drag Jason and the brothers out and they take them to the authorities and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They understand what God is asking from them and they refuse to give it to him. That is a dangerous position to be in. That is a deadly position to be in, right? They understand what he wants, what he's demanding. We're in that exact same position, right? If you live in 21st century America, you have a Bible and you can read it. You know what he wants from you. You get to come to a service and somebody will tell you what this text means, right? We know what he wants from us. If I shut my ears and push back against him, I'm in the exact same position as these Thessalonian Jews. Outside of him. Condemned by him. Just because we hear hard things, just because we hear things that will by necessity change our lives, doesn't mean they're bad. It means we need to stop and go back to Scripture and make sure that they're right. And when they're right, we need to sacrifice everything so we can follow it. That's the cost of following Christ. It's one of them. They're going to find out more later. The heat's going to be turned up in both Philippi and Thessalonica. I'm sure Berea as well. In fact, that mob that followed, uh, that, that started in Thessalonica is going to find Paul in Thessalonica. And he's going to have to leave Timothy and Silas in Thessalonica. And he's going to go to Athens next week. And he, we're going to get to see him interact with, with, the Athenian, uh, with the Athenians. It's another cost to following him. Sometimes it's hard. Right? But it's worth it. Because he's the one who's conquered death. Nobody else can do that. And if he's conquered death, he can conquer death for me too. And so I'll line up behind him. I agree with him. 
so that I can have his promises. Power and endurance, strength to overcome. All the things that this world throws at me, the, the mindset to look at the world the way he wants me to look at the world, the way that he looks at the world. I've taken on that mindset now as a Christian. So when I hear something that's offensive or harmful to me, I go back to Scripture and I think, is that what he said? And if I find out that it is, I'm happy to sacrifice everything so that I can be in agreement with him. That's the countercultural thing that we learn from the churches in Thessalonica and Berea this morning. If you're ready to buck the culture, if you're ready to, to fight against it, because you've realized that it's a dead-end road, that culture's leading you down, the lies that it's sold you, it can't make good on those promises. And maybe you finally realized that. And you're ready to give your life over to Christ this morning. We'd be overjoyed to be able to study with you, to baptize you into Christ, to have your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you need the prayers of this congregation to live in line with Jesus, to live in a way that's, that's pleasing to Him. If you have a need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
difficile. Good morning, church family. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill a visitor card in front of you and place it in the box in the back, we'd love to have a record of your attendance with us this morning. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, deacons at 5 o'clock, there's a meeting today, so, um, so please put that in your calendars. Uh, today, deacons meeting at 5 o'clock. Also, uh, Young at Heart, this Tuesday has been postponed. Um, talked to several of our members, a lot of them, and we have a lot of people that uh, won't be able to make it. And uh, so we'll postpone it for next month uh, for China One. Um, also, remember, continue to keep those uh, that are heading to Beckley uh, for a mission trip on July 20th through the 23rd in your prayers. Um, they, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board, uh, so please sign up if you're planning on going to that. Updates are on a prayer list. Remember, continue to keep the Carico family in your prayers. Darren's cousin passed away. Uh, remember to keep them in your prayers. Also keep the Hayes family in your prayers. Uh, Jean Hayes' sister passed away as well. Uh, so uh, keep them in your prayers as they're going through a difficult time. Um, a lot of people with heart issues uh, uh, lately. Um, keep uh, Eloise uh, Hayes, uh, her sister, uh, had a stroke. Um, so keep her in your prayers. Keep Terry Baker's uh, mom in your prayers as well. Uh, she had a stroke as well. Um, also, prayers for uh, Jimmy Wilgus' youngest sister, Patty. Uh, she also ha uh, had a heart attack last week, so keep Patty in your prayers. And also keep Linda Bragg Bell in your prayers as well. Uh, she had a stroke as well, um, so keep them in your prayers. Um, uh, updates on our cancer list, keep David Spurlock and Noreen Tawny in your prayers. Um, as they go through their cancer treatments. And remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as he continues his uh, cancer treatments as well. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. Yes. Jeff Galloway's daughter. Type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes. So keep uh, uh, Jeff's uh, daughter in your prayers as well. She's young, isn't she? 11, so um, so keep her in your prayers at this time as well. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing you again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 510. We'll sing the first two verses, and then Brother Andy Pittman will lead us in prayer. Yeah.
One quick announcement real quick. Um, we're going to have pies and homemade ice cream tonight after services, if you guys bring it, so please bring it. Um, <laughs> um, so that'll be after services tonight, pies and ice cream. Uh, please come. We're, we're have a great time. Thanks. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this family that you've created for us. Father, those that you've placed in our lives that guide us and encourage us, Father, to, to be your loving light in the world. Father, we, we thank you for the, the institution of the church, and Father, the salvation we find through it. Father, we ask that we, you fill us with a fire to, to spread that same love to all those around us. Be with us as we depart from here, watch over us, and all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank <laughs> you.